House prices are going through the roof. Again. According to new research from the Central Statistics Office, the average cost of a house in Ireland has climbed by more than 14% over the last year. Prices of homes in Dublin were up by 13.1%, while those outside the capital increased by 15.4%. The average price of a home is now close to the peak recorded just before the property crash of 2008. But it's not all about rising prices. There's also a chronic shortage of supply and the prospect of home ownership for many people is becoming more and more remote while renting is becoming more and more expensive. I believe it's a crisis. It is a crisis. That's the reality for generation rent. Don't you, don't you dare talk to me about false narratives or claim that you understand the crisis. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. Today, just how worried should we be about rising house prices? Owen Burke Kennedy is the Irish Times economics correspondent. Owen, this week you were writing about the price of an average house in Dublin and you're saying that it's topped half a million euro. That's because buyers have been scrambling to buy a very small number of new and second-hand homes. So in that context... What chance does a first-time buyer have of buying a house? I mean, to meet the central bank lending rules, to get that kind of money, you'd need a €50,000 deposit and an annual salary of €150,000. So what hope do they have? Well, I suppose the truth is there's very little chance of buying a house if you're a person on average wages or even on, on good wages. And that's why property is such a hot topic and such a kind of running sore running through the heart of the Irish economy. I mean, if you think about it, the average full-time wage in this country is around forty-eight to 50000 The average price of a home sold in the capital is 500000 So that's a, a multiple of 10. So, I mean, the price metrics around property are just seriously prohibitive. So you can make a reasonable assumption that the people who are actually buying houses are pretty well paid, you know, maybe multinational employees or people reliant on the bank of mum and dad. And, and we've talked about this before. And, you know, property has a way of kind of recycling wealth in the country. And that's why it's so divisive. So people standing on their own two feet solely with their wage are really facing a mountain to climb to get on the on the ladder. And if you look at the, the amount of young people that actually own homes, it was around 22 percent back in 2011. It fell to you know 16 percent in 2016. And now they, they reckon it's around 12 percent. So levels of home ownership are really falling, um, falling and falling. There's, there's many reasons for this, but somewhere along the line, property prices have become kind of decoupled from incomes. And that's the real kind of aggravating sore that's at the heart of this equation. Now, why that is the case is a complex thing to answer. There was a Bank of England study a few years ago that pinpointed interest rates as the chief villain of the piece. We've had low interest rates for four decades and we've had a, a nearly a quadrupling of house prices in that period. So that may be one of the, the main reasons for it. Either way, property has now become one of the most polarising issues on the planet. And one of the solutions that the government has, if not the only solution to tackle house price inflation, is supply, supply, supply. Is that working? Because if it is working, there certainly isn't any sign of it yet. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd say about that from the outset, it's not within the government's gift actually to promise uh, supply because... As you know, um, the majority of the homes that are going to be built under its uh, housing for all strategy will come from the private sector. And even the majority of the social homes promised under that strategy will come via part five 
and will be acquired, uh, you know, by housing bodies. So the private sector are the ones that are going to build them. So it's kind of strange with the government going around promising these big, bigger and bigger targets when in actual fact it's not within their gift at all to do it. That said, the central bank is forecasting that we'll get about 25,000 new homes built this year, which is a big pickup on where we were maybe four or five years ago. That will morph into 30,000 next year and in 2024, 35,000 units. Now, 35,000 units is a kind of interesting number. That's kind of roughly where a lot of economists think natural housing demand in the economy is. So when we get to that point, what actually happens? And this is a big question. Do we get then supply and demand equalizing each other? What actually happens? Do we get then more affordable housing? And that's a question that nobody seems to be able to answer. It's certainly, you know, what the government and what the industry are banking on. But, you know, back in 2006, we built 92,000 homes. I mean, that's a huge figure compared to where we are now. And property prices rose by 14% that year. That's a kind of ugly metric to bring into the equation. But there's just no sense that the laws of supply and demand in terms of price apply to the property sector. Because remember, property is a highly financial asset. So when when values and property go up, it doesn't mean that we all pile out of the market. Actually, investors pile into the market. So it works in you know the opposite way that you might think the basic laws of supply and demand operate. And of course, you mentioned 2006 and the more than 90,000 houses that were built that year. And of course, we know what happened in 2007. We had one of the worst economic crashes in the world and property prices lost uh, 50, 60, 70% of their value and the, the country was littered with ghost estates. But back then, the property bubble was inflated largely by easy credit. The banks were throwing money at people. But that's not happening today. So what are the main factors that are driving prices higher this time? Where is all that upward pressure coming from? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, question because, I mean, the banks are are still convalescing from the crash, believe it or not, 10 years later, their profitability levels are still relatively moderate and their lending to, you know, to home buyers and to developers is greatly restricted. So we don't have the big wall of credit behind this price rise that we had last time round. And if you remember, just prior to the pandemic, the level of inflation had moderated almost to nothing nationally. And in Dublin, we actually had negative price growth. And then when the pandemic hit, you know, estate agents were predicting a massive fall in property values. We got the exact opposite. I mean, it was it was categorically wrong prediction. So what actually is is happening? Um, well, obviously, there was an increased level of remote working and a kind of refocused on lifestyles. And that precipitated um, more home buying. It was a massive, huge pickup in savings that maybe helped certain uh, prospective buyers put their money down for our housing. There was also Brexit happening in the background. A lot of people coming, uh, leaving the professional serv- financial services sector in London and coming back to Ireland. That seems to have been um, responsible for a certain element of the demand. But I'd have to say we, we've seen the same kind of pickup in property prices around the world. So um, the pandemic has just kind of refocused people on their living quarters and put an extra pressure on price. So we've gone from negative price growth in Dublin just prior to the pandemic to, you know, year on year price growth of around 13% and 14% nationally. Presumably this price spike has been recorded in other parts of Europe as well. And Does that mean that at least when it comes to property inflation, we're all in this together this time? 
Yeah, well, you could say that. I mean, you know, in terms of the pandemic spike in property prices, we actually haven't had it as bad as other countries, which I know is an aggravating point to make to people struggling to get on the property ladder here. But low and middle income earners are priced out of markets in in the UK, in Canada, in the US, in Hong Kong, in New Zealand, all across the world, we've seen this spike in property prices. Even in Germany, and remember, the way we look at Germany is like a really stable, settled property market. We used to beat ourselves up, do you remember, uh, in the crash about why we couldn't be more German and just be happy to rent and not be so obsessive around property prices. But listen to this metric. In the seven major German cities, inflation has risen by 123% between 2009 and 2019 in property, according to Deutsche Bank. 123%. That means that the property prices have risen higher than they did in London and New York. Now, I know that, Owen, you're a very optimistic person by nature. So in the best case scenario, how does the current wave of price fluctuation end for us? Well, it's already predicted to moderate this year and next year. So the big high level of inflation we're seeing now is predicted by nearly everybody in the sector to come down to maybe levels of four or five or six percent inflation, which is still very high, by the way. And I suppose that will ease the pressure a little bit. But in the perfect scenario, economists would want incomes to grow in excess of property price inflation. That would mean that your affordability would get better. Now, that could take years. Telling someone who's struggling to get on the property ladder right now that maybe in 10 years they'll be able to afford something is just a nonsense point. So uh, I don't have an optimistic view of where things are going to go. I think you could be interviewing me in, in two years' time and we will still be faced with the same metrics. The affordability question at the heart of the property market here and abroad just isn't going anywhere. So at the moment, yeah, I'd have to say I'm pretty pessimistic on the outlook for that. Coming up, is another property bubble inflating? And could we be facing another crash? The housing crisis is a story of hardship, but it's also a story of economics. And the latest extreme price rise is a story some of us feel we've heard before. For almost a decade now, many potential buyers have been shut out of the market as a result of the house price boom. And every year also, thousands of people buy a house despite fears that they might suffer from a collapse in its market value. That was from 2003. Back then, we were already worried about a property crash, but it didn't come for another five years. How will we know when or if it's going to happen again? We, we have these key risk years between 2023 and 2026, where I believe the genesis of a crisis in housing or a crash will become apparent. Financial analyst Carl Dieter has an opinion, but first he wants to make something clear. When it comes to Irish housing, it's hard to be sure of anything. Seeing those inflection points is hard. I could be wrong. That is something that I have to caveat this conversation by. When you see something rise 14%, like property, let's just realize that for an average home, that means that quite often it made more money than the person living in it made that year. In other words, the appreciation of the house was higher than anything that person did uh, by the fruit of their own labor to make an income and a house just sat there. So that kind of dynamic is very dangerous. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's sustainable. And it usually is an amplification of something that's wrong somewhere and when that's something that's wrong stops, then you usually have a situation where it, um, you know, things fall apart and it's it, it, it corrects itself. And 
that's frustrating. I, I kind of get the feeling that we're, we're just going to go back into some correction phase again and it's not going to be too nice. You've actually looked at property prices in Ireland in probably a more forensic way than anybody else because you've looked at property prices going back hundreds of years in Dublin. What did that research tell you about the property cycle in this country? And is there anything that we can learn from the past that might inform us in the present or indeed in the future? The main thing I learned from doing that research is that I'm never going to do research like that again. It was <laughs> incredibly painful stuff, like 20,000 property deeds that were you know, hundreds of pages long sometimes. Um, but what it did give a view of was we have had cycles, that property cycles are nothing new. We had something that was akin to NAMA after the famine. We had something that was akin to the crash of Anglo in the 1870s. We've had periods where the property market went down and stayed down for 100 years. And no one ever knew this because the, the actual empirical evidence wasn't there. There is this generalized kind of 20-year phase of contraction, recovery, growth, hypersupply, stop, contraction. And I think we're at the stage right before hypersupply that if, if we were to use the early 2000s as an example, would mean that we're somewhere around the kind of 2003 period all over again, where you had people saying, we need loads of housing. Housing was going gangbusters. Rates, they're at zero at the moment, basically. It's not a credible, but where, where credit isn't kicking in, it's being supplanted by corporate money. So the inflows are there. It's so annoying because you can see it from a long way off, but it's actually impossible to tell when you've, when you've done it. Because everything about property is, is like driving down the street by looking in the rearview mirror. And when you get to that stage of hypersupply, you're like Wiley Coyote and you've, you've gone off the cliff and there's this moment where you're like looking down and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, there's nothing beneath me. And then you start to fall. And the question is, how far are you going to fall? Is it going to be a small cliff? You know, something that fall down, maybe bruise your knee, or are you going to smash your legs or are you going to die? So like, like that's really the way I would explain it in the most layman terms possible. So we're Wiley Coyote now. And you say that we're comparably speaking at around 2003 in the last property cycle. Now, we all know that the crash came in 2007, 2008. Does that mean that we're three or four years away from a similar crash this time round? Or could it be completely different? It could be different. And it takes a while for that to occur. So if you look at the ingredients that go into it, you need something that ramps up activity beyond its rational, normal assumptions. And people screaming that there's no housing, screaming that there's nothing to rent, screaming that homeless is rampant, that's all real stuff. But the solution for that will start to come about in this wide sense, because it's not like everybody knows exactly what's going to be delivered or when. And you'll, you'll still have headlines saying there's no housing, there's no housing, and suddenly there's loads of housing. And that's that Wiley Coyote moment I was talking about. Now, what we did last time, we went way too high. But how did they get it so spectacularly wrong then, Carl? Because they weren't, these weren't stupid people. These were canny builders and developers and investors. And yet they made a complete pig's ear of everything for all of us. It's hard to see the signals of when things are going wrong, the same as it's hard to see the signals of when things are starting to go right. You know, a house is a simplistic thing, but you're still talking about a two-year delivery time or more. And when you lay the first brick, you're in. There's no, there's no like, let's half build something. You can't sell a third of a house or just sell some of the foundations. So when you're in, you've got to see that through to the end. And if your end point is off that cliff edge, then that's where you become, again, that, that wily coyote idea of, 
of being out there and saying to yourself, wow, that the, there's nothing below me. I've just realized this. There's a brief pause and then the descent begins. One of the phrases that strikes fear into the heart of so many people in Ireland now is property bubble. Because we've seen what happens when the bubble pops. Does the bubble always have to pop, Carl? Or to borrow a phrase from times past, can we have a soft landing when it comes to property prices this time? I don't personally believe in them, but again, I could be wrong. I think that property is inherently in disequilibrium because it's not like pairs of socks where you can just deliver whatever the market wants within a week or two and then it it levels off and people find that natural level or that people just calmly ratchet down the production. For development to work, it has to be delivered in full on time within budget and sold. And that doesn't matter whether your buyer is a couple or a pension fund or anyone else. Now, the, the one outlier is the state is so heavily involved in the property market at the moment as a buyer of last resort that they might be able to act almost the way a central bank acts by stopping bank failures, by stopping a property market failure. The state could act as the ultimate backstop of the property market. Should it? I don't know. It's, it's probably not a good idea. I, I, you know, I thought the bank guarantee was quite a risky move too. But that could, that could be something that just shoots my thesis straight out of the water. But will we get to a point where we overproduce? Of course we will. If we're going to get to a point where we produce enough, we're not going to know it. We're not going to be like, oh, hey, you know, the, uh, the flag went up. We produced enough. Everyone down tools. Go home, knock off early, have a cup of tea. We keep on producing. You only realize that, like I said, it's like driving down the street, looking in the rearview mirror and navigating with that. It's very difficult to do. What will happen is the savvy developers, the savvy money will start to get out. You're already seeing that. So, for instance, American funds last year were, were net divestors of property. They were very early in when the cycle turned positive and they're getting out early. And that's that smart money move. That's something that, to me, starts to give you those early warning signals that it might be at a point where people are saying, this is toppy enough for me to leave. You said there that, you know, there's going to be an oversupply and that's going to cause big problems in the market further down the line. But surely we're so far behind when it comes to meeting demand today and building is at such a slow pace that it'll take us years to get to that point where there's an oversupply or a glut in the market. Well, well, that's why the property market is not like the stock market. You know, it, it, it doesn't rise and fall and, you know, go down for two months and then recover for 11 years or whatever the, the, the last thing was happening. Uh, so what I would say is that's true, but... If we're knocking out 20,000 units a year and then that goes up to 30,000, like we don't actually have a true knowledge of where demand is at. We have estimates. Even within the property industry, nobody agrees on what that number is. So you've got the housing agency, and I think their number was like 25. You've got certain property economists, and they're saying that it's 40. You've got other property economists saying, no, we're actually there, thereabouts already. Now, they're in a minority, but they do exist. Like the, the difference between 15,000 and 40,000 homes, I mean, that's, that's half a city's worth of housing that we can't agree on. It's not science. It's best guess based on estimates. And those estimates are often wrong. But hang on a second, Carl. Why can't it be science? I mean... We know the demographics of our society. We know how many people want houses. We know how many people want to live in particular areas. Surely it's not that hard to be able to have a rough 
or even quite accurate estimate as to how many houses we need every year. Yeah, look, I would say that's more scientism than science. Just because you can put numbers on something doesn't make it empirically true. So if you look at at demographics, you'd say, how much has our population been going up by? Uh, When will those people enter into housing? But then you've got these other tempering factors of will they want housing on their own or will they want to be with someone else? We see that women having their first child is up into their 30s. You know, I think it's age 33 at the moment. That's the highest it's been since we started keeping records on that. How long are people living? Like in the past, you could rely that people were going to die within a certain limit. Now we're living longer and longer. And these are things that that you need to think about. There's so many moving parts that even the people who study this for a living don't agree with one another. Carl Dieter, thank you very much for talking to us. Owen, what about economists and policymakers? Are they worried about the possibility of the housing market here overheating and the supply overshooting so that in response to a huge increase in prices, we build way too many houses and that might lead to a crash maybe in two years or three years time? Well, I suppose if if you think back at the example I gave earlier of building 90,000 homes in 2006, our current projection is in two years time to be building 35,000 homes. That seems pretty modest. And if you think the population is going to 6 million by 2050, you know, I don't think there's any suggestion that our modest tick up in supply is going to overshoot because the demand is just so red hot and so strong. So I don't think things are going to overshoot on the supply front and the population metrics are there to justify it. The big problem and the other side of the equation is the inflationary one. We're already seeing rapid uh, inflation in the construction sector. And does it have the capacity to build 35,000, 40,000 homes. That's a big question. And if it doesn't have the capacity, what you get then is spiraling wages and prices. And that can be a problem. And of course, the Irish economy is a very volatile place. So we seem to oscillate from kind of underheating, to use that expression, to overheating. So if you remember going into Brexit, we were worried that we we're going to see a fall off in demand and we we're going to be underheating. Now we're seeing a pickup in prices and we're worried about the capacity of the economy and in particular the capacity of the construction sector. And lo and behold, in the next six months, you're going to hear a lot of economic narratives all centred around that overheating risk and fear. That's all for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon, Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.